Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On some occasions, there would be a light that would come in through the window or be a light out in the field, in the sky, or out, you know, above the hills. Um, And um, what sometimes... And most of the time, there would be at least two of the smaller, shorter, bulbous head, black screened eyed type gray alien entities. And they would be at the foot of my bed or beside my bed or, you know, at a window. You always <laughs> so many memories of them at the window, looking in the window that until... I did the PTSD therapy, I could not look out a window at night. Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. I should have prayed first. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Yeah, can we pray? That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. For that. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for this evening. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness. Lord, I thank you that your mercies are new every single day. God, I just ask that you would bless Karen, Lord, that you would that you would touch her, uh, her body, Lord, that you are the great physician. But God, I just pray that you would heal her, Lord. Bless her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that um, this conversation would be fruitful, that uh, that it would be a blessing to everyone who hears it, and and ultimately, Lord, that you would be honored and that you would be glorified uh, through this conversation. I just pray that you would bless our time together in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, campers, welcome back to another exciting episode of Camp Herman. Y'all, I'm solo again. And just so you know, haven't had a falling out with Tori or Mike. They are just still recovering from Thanksgiving, and that's okay. They will be back with us, at least one of them. I can guarantee you that will be back with us, um, well, with me and with you next week. But on tonight, we've got Karen Wilkinson uh, on the show, and Karen You've been through so much. I'm not even sure how to introduce you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so how about introduce yourself, Karen, and, and the the title of your book and, and what motivated you um, to write the book? Okay, great. Well, thanks, Chris. I am very happy to be here. We're, I am uh, tell Tori and Mike, I'm sorry I didn't get to see them, maybe next time. But um, yeah, so the title of my book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. Um, and it's available exclusively at lamarzuli.net. Um, and I wrote the book because uh, following it, it's not something I ever thought I would do. But, you know, God's God had plans for um, for me and they brought me in this direction. Um, it started with an interview that I did with L.A. Marzuli, which is something I didn't think I would do either. And that was made possible by some uh, PTSD therapy that I did because of a near-death experience, which I like to call my near-life experience. But I had so much PTSD from that that I ended up in therapy and learning to deal with some really harsh things. And it allowed me to be able to 
cope better with the memories that I've had my whole life of this. And um, then I felt led to L.A., Marzulli, and shared my story with him. And that ended up in the fourth movie in the UFO series on abductions. And also part of that is also in the sixth movie on cattle mutilations. And um, after that movie came out, I was absolutely terrified because this was just never something I thought I would talk about in public or share with anyone. And um, so I was terrified when it came out because I couldn't believe I'm like, what am I? Thank God, what do you have me doing here? You know, but um, I tried to be a good and faithful servant and follow God's leading on this. And I, um, after the movie came out, I would be with LA at a conference or somewhere. And, and I had so many people thanking me for sharing my testimony, for sharing my story, for being brave enough to put it out there and sharing their stories with me. And, and just, you know, being so grateful that they had a kinship with someone that, someone else was able to talk about it, made it okay. What had happened to them, similar experiences. Um, and by experiences, I mean, and I could back up a little bit, the book stolen seed evil harvest is my, uh, true life account of a lifetime of, um, non-human alien abduction experiences. Um, and what happened with me with that and how God, saved me from that, brought me out of that, brought me through it and brought me into a place where we could use that evil for good and do something good with it. And that's what I'm trying to do with this. Um, So after I started talking to people, once the movie was out, I realized that, you know, there was some worth in having that out there. And there was so much more to the story than the little snippets that we covered in, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the interview that he used in the movie. And um, he, he encouraged me to write it down and God just pressed my heart to write. And so I did. And um, I wrote it down, gave it to LA. And he, next thing you know, we're, we have this book we're published. Yeah. And that's really been amazing. Um, because again, with this, I've just been able to meet and speak with so many wonderful beautiful, amazing people, people who want to share their story, people who know somebody or it's them or, you know, have had some kind of experience and, um, and just be able to shed light on what really is happening and what this is and how, even though this is what people call an alien abduction, it's no different than any other, um, encounter with a demonic entity that anyone might have and that there is a way to stop it. There's a way out of it. And that way is through Jesus and Jesus alone. Mm. And so in a nutshell, that's, that's what the inspiration was and what led me to write the book. Okay. So you mentioned uh, PTSD therapy. How did that lead you to getting hooked up with LA Marzulli? Yeah. Um, Well, it didn't. What it did was it uh, really allowed me to be able to think about and deal with the fact that I had had this lifetime of these experiences that were affecting me negatively my whole life and finally be able to say no more. Put that behind me, you know, renew my Christian faith and really be able to do something good with it and be able to be free from it finally. Um, and then I, I don't, you know, it's, it was all God. God just led me to LA. It was just mm. a series of events and things that just happened to happen in the right place, the right time, the right timing. God's timing is perfect. Right. I mean, you know, I, I'm like, God, I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. This is why, you know, is all of this just constantly in the front of my mind. Was it because of the therapy and I was finally able to deal with it? Yes, part of it was, and the other part, God knew I was ready to be able to deal with it and talk about it, because you can't do this and then not be prepared to talk about it. And that's not something I ever thought I would do. And then hearing right. talking about it. So. Right. Okay. So you just you just happened to kind of meet L.A., or he, he reached out to you? I reached out to him. 
okay. through an email. And he happened to be um, right around that same time coming to a conference nearby me. And I had just had a surgery, another spinal surgery, where they went through my neck, through the front, so I could barely talk. My voice isn't very good tonight, so but it sounded worse than this. And I um, still, you know, managed <laughs> to go and we still did this interview. And, um, it, you know, he was, it was just, the timing was just incredible of how it worked out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's interesting uh, how things, sometimes things just kind of fall into place. Um, so I wanted to, I'm curious about what your kind of your earliest like memories or childhood memories are like, what, what kind of uh, upbringing did you have? Yeah, it was fairly normal. I mean, middle-class American upbringing in the sixties and seventies, you know, um, families, you know, I, I can't think of anything too unusual, except we had a lot of Masons in the family. My grandfather was a high level Mason. My parents were both in, um, the Masonic groups for younger people. And then when I was um, a young teenager, I was put into the Rainbow Girls group, which is the Masonic group for, for young girls. Um, I didn't stay in it. I didn't, I, I went through the whole thing and through the whole initiatory process. And then I was like, I knew, I just didn't feel right about it, you know? And, uh, and so I uh, stopped that. But um, other than that, it was, it was fairly, average you know i don't think there was anything unusual um we did grow up in an area there where there were a lot of um what they called native american burial mounds mm-hmm. we were really close to serpent mound in people's ohio okay. we played around those mounds growing up um really close to the adena and hopewell mounds um and you know always exposed to all of that um but other than that you know, it, what was abnormal was that I was being taken from as young as I can remember. And I was trying to figure out how to deal with that as a little kid. And that's what was really difficult um, with growing up was, mm. you know, how do you, you fit that in? I mean, you know, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Yeah. A lot of the kind of things that I'm aware of as far as, abduct abductees stories that they have um they don't have a lot of memories do you have a did you have a like a lot of memories so even as a as a child you you were aware of of what was happening yeah i did have a lot of memories but not all the time not memories of everything that was happening a lot of memories were just of them coming knowing they were coming to get me and then getting brought back and the middle part not remembering but I have a lot of memories of actually the whole thing too of being taken and what happened while I was taken um and I've had those memories since I was little um and throughout life you know there are some times where I don't have memories and I think some of those memories were just too um traumatic and so I just allowed them to be blocked out of my memory. It wasn't that they were always able to give me screen memories or make me forget. I, some, some of it was just so traumatic, I didn't want to remember. Some of these memories are, you know, like sitting there at the tip of my memory. And I know that they're there, but I, I choose not to allow them to come fully forward. I don't want to think about them and I don't want to remember them fully or think about them fully because they are that traumatic. Um, so, but, um, I think that I've talked to a lot of people who have a a similar amount of memories as I do of these types of things. It's just not something people talk about, you know, and then there's some people who don't have hardly any memory of any of it all. They know it's happened, but they don't remember anything that happened. They'll remember snippets of waking up on a table, which I have those types of memories too, where, you know, it's just like, I remember about five minutes on a table and then it goes dark again, you know, and I don't remember anything else. So, you know, I can't say that it's unusual. Um, I'm just talking about it. That's Mm. what's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
I can imagine a lot of people and, and a lot of people do this with different types of trauma. We, I think it's a protective mechanism where we got to push it out of our mind and pretend like it didn't happen because right. when, when we don't do that, we focus on it. We kind of have to deal with that, that trauma and that can be very uncomfortable yeah, exactly. I mean, when I was about six years old, I write about this in the book. I, I told this story before, but um, they found me huddled in the corner of a bathroom stall at school. I think it was kindergarten or first grade. I can't remember which. Just rocking, holding onto my knees, you know, talking about something they didn't understand what I was talking about. And, you know, I just kind of had a breakdown. I was just done. And I remember the feeling of being that little and just being done. Mm. and not knowing what to do about it. And you have to remember, we didn't have vocabulary for what these things were. Uh, even if these things had told me specifically what they were, they that wouldn't have been a word that translated to my parents or my school, you know, principals or teachers or nurse or what have you. We didn't have shows about UFOs and books about UFOs and the things like we do today and podcasts and what, and these things. So it was something was happening that I didn't even have a language to explain. You know, I called them the little ones. I called them the ones who came to get me, the ones who, you know, touched me, you know, because they would do medical things on me. Um, and so there wasn't really even a vocabulary for it, but I do remember at that point in time, it was, it's God like gives you this protective mechanism where I was just able to separate it. At that point, I put that part of my life over here and the normal part of my life over here. And I tried to live in that one as much as I could. And when they would come to take me, I would just let my mind take me to a better place and pretend it wasn't happening and just go along. I learned to go along with what they wanted. I learned to be quiet about it. You know, the more I went along and the quieter I was, the better it was. It was like being in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. So you would, you basically would dissociate to protect yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if, if you don't mind, um, can you think of, of an experience that you had where you kind of have the most vivid of memories and just kind of walk us through that experience and then from there i want to ultimately end up talking about just kind of some of the the origins of these things as far as you know and like why they're doing what they're doing and then kind of what what you think their plans are for the future but i'd, I'd like to start with uh, just an experience just because i think I've never personally spoken with, with someone who who's been abducted. I, you know, I, I've heard mm -hmm. stories, but I just think it'd be interesting for the audience to kind of get a kind of a word picture of like what that experience is like from your perspective. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Why don't I, I'll do this. I'll kind of walk through what a typical abduction experience was like, especially when I was really little. Um, because you know, that's obviously when it started and, and, um, I, I have a lot, a lot of memories of being taken when I was little, um, where I would just feel a change come up in the room. It's, it's so hard to describe, but you feel it. And especially when you close your eyes, everything about everything is different. Like the feeling of the room, the energy in the air, everything is just different. And it's a feeling of dread, you know, it's like you're standing in front of a bobcat or something in the woods and you get that just feeling. Um, and um, sometimes all the um, crickets and cicadas outside would get really quiet, you know, it would just be dead silent. Um, on some occasions, there would be a light that would come in through the window or be a light out in the field in the sky or out, you know, above the hills. Um, and um, what sometimes in most of the time, there would be at least two of the smaller, shorter, bulbous head 
black screened eyed type gray alien entities. And they would be at the foot of my bed or beside my bed or, you know, at a window. Always (laughs) so many memories of them at the window, looking in the window that until I did the PTSD therapy, I could not look out a window at night. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, yeah, I really, unless someone was with me walking through him, then I'd be brave enough sometimes to look out a window. I mean, that's how bad it, the PTSD from it was, you know, and, and the, it's really interesting to talk to other abductees who had the same thing. They're like, yeah, me too. I can't look out a window at night, man. I pull the drapes and pull the blinds, you know, but, um, and, um, I would get levitated off the bed, um, either through a closed window or through the ceiling. Um, And the funny thing about that is I could remember all the details of the different ceilings in the houses, like getting up close to the wallpaper that was on the ceiling of my grandma's house and how the little edges were just brown and curled. Just you wouldn't see it from the floor, but you could see it when you're up there or the bugs or the things that would be in the lamp light fixtures or how the paneling stopped right at the ceiling and there was this you know the wood strip that went around it and there's crazy little details as a little kid you know and and again that's kind of dissociating that's just like I'm just going to look at this I'm not going to look at them because I never wanted to look at them because they were so scary to me um and at that point there's just this feeling that I would get my body like it was almost a vibration type feeling you could just feel this change um like you're like my body would go into a million little pieces, but still together at the same time and going right through a wall, a window, a ceiling, just crazy, you know, how it works. Often seeing light, you know, going with a light or into a light. And from that point, they would shut me off half, most of the time, or I would just shut my own brain off at that point too because it just you know but I do have memories of you know then seeing the house getting further and further away the trees getting further and further away the hills getting further and you know things like that cars hills rivers stream lakes what have you depending on where I was and that so that was a typical start to an abduction scenario um each scenario was different and unique in itself I was almost always taken to Um, an underground facility, very often to the same place. Um, There was an elevator that went down um, and it was cold. I was always cold. I just remember always being cold when I was little and trying to make sure I'd fall asleep with my blanket so that my little blanket, I called it my cold blanket, not because the blanket was cold, because I knew I was going to be cold and I wanted that blanket. And I thought if I was clutching it, then it would go with me, which it did sometimes. Um, and, um, going down these elevators and then (laughs) I used to talk about the elevators that went side to side because they were moved just like an elevator, quiet, just like an elevator. But instead of going up and down, they would go either diagonally or side to side. And then, um, my husband at one point was like, honey, do you think that was maybe a train, like a high-speed rail? I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That was probably what that was. <laughs> but you know, I didn't have any frame of reference to know what right. it was. But it did have seats, like little bench type seat in it where I would sit. Um, and it was also cold. Um, but yeah, anything I could compare it to, you know, any kind of a train or a car I had ever been in was bumpy and noisy, especially in the 60s and 70s, you know. We didn't have anything electric like we do today. Um, When I was taken, um, the underground facilities had different parts to them. Some parts were older and were more like carved out of stone almost looking, like archaic. Most of it was very modern, very open, very clean, very white walls, curved white walls, um, huge rooms long hallways, dark hallways. Um, Some rooms were very dark. Some rooms were very bright. Um, Sometimes when I was little, there'd be lots of other little kids there. Um, Little kids, we'd just sit around a 
these tables, these big like round tables, the kind you might see in the kindergarten class today. It's funny because we didn't have that when I was in kindergarten. We had little desks, but um, excuse me, we um, would play with blocks or crayons and weird things like that that didn't really make any sense from what I can remember from that. And some of the kids weren't normal and some seemed perfectly normal and some seemed completely upset, just dependent. Um, sometimes they would do medical tests on me, um, things I didn't understand, you know, being so young, things that look like x-ray machines. I don't know what the machines did. Some lots of things that involved needles, needles in my neck, needles in my chest, needles in my back, you know, different parts of my body. Um, I'm guessing sometimes drawing blood. Um, but you know, they never said, it's not like when you go to a doctor and they're, they nicely tell you, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. There's none of that. You know, it was, it was invasive and intrusive and terrifying as a little kid. Um, and, um, they had ways to calm me down, but. hmm? Sorry. I was going to say, when you say they, um, Mm -hmm. was it always the same entities that, that would it would take you to the, what sounds like um, deep underground military bases. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I didn't even know what those were um, until recently, but yeah. No, it wasn't the same entities. Those grays, I've written a lot about those grays. I wrote about them in the book and I've written articles for L.A. Marzulli's monthly newsletter about them as well extensively because I've had so much interaction with them um, and I have some very strong um, opinions about the grays based on my experience. And I can get into that later if you want, because I think that'll fit in well mm-hmm. later. But um, those, those grays are the ones that they're kind of like the worker bees, the ones that would be there when I would be abducted and, you know, be there when I was dropped off or picked up or what have you. Um, there were what looked like taller, they looked older, they weren't older, but I say that because they had more wrinkled skin. Their eyes would move and shift as opposed to the grays, the typical grays that would come to pick me up because the, those grays look like they had screen, black screens for eyes, whereas the grays that were in these facilities or on the ships, depending on where I was at any given time, their eyes actually shifted and moved. Like like more than their head moves, it's just like their eyes would move. It's so freaky. Um and um, they, their skin was more wrinkled. They were more sturdy looking. You could tell that, you know, they were more of a, they were a different entity um, mm-hmm. to those. There were the reptilian entities that you hear a lot about. Um, when I was little, often um, there were the Nordic looking entities who looked closer to human and that might be why they were around the little kids but they were very mean and scary looking to me but they had their eyes were way bigger and you know further set they just then they they weren't you they clearly weren't human but you know they were the closest looking to human and when I was little like pre-k age I was terrified of my father's side of the family because they were all these tall blonde fair-eyed fair-haired then, you know, people and they looked similar to what these Nordics were. And I was terrified of them and no one could under, you know, understand why, why she's screaming bloody murder whenever his nephew comes around, you know, well, cause they look to me close to that and little kids, you don't make that distinction, you know, right. It's, it's not the kind of detail a small child picks up on, but you know, we did pick up on things that look similar. So. And then um, there were the um, insectolin or mantis looking entities. Never saw those up really close. They were always back off in a corner or in another side of the room somewhere. When I was little, I called them the corner sitters because they'd always, to me, seemed like they were always sitting back in a backside of a room, even if it was a rounded room, you know, there was always, an, it was back away from, from me. And um, they were, creepy and they seemed like they were kind of watching over everything more like in charge than you know anything else maybe like supervisors almost you know it's hard to say but I'm sure there was a hierarchy among them you could tell that there was some sort of hierarchy going on 
but I think, does that answer your question? I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, that was, you answered my question uh, perfectly because I was asking if, if it was the same entities. Um, so what do you think the, I mean, it sounds like they were doing, you know, kind of running tests on you doing different things. Um, what do you think their purpose for, for abducting you was? Oh gosh. I, you know, I don't, I think it was a lot of different things. I think their purpose for um, abducting anyone, not just me, was to interfere with the human race and the human bloodlines, just like they've been doing for thousands of years. Um, it's not something new. Um, I think that they, I think that they're looking for specific genetic types that they can work with because they're trying to utilize that blood and tissue for different things. And I don't know everything they utilize that for, but I do know part of it is a hybrid breeding program. I know that sounds crazy, but I've experienced it. I've seen it. Other people have too. And um, I've spoken to so many women who've been through this similar situation. It's insane the number of people that have experienced this that are afraid to talk about it or come forward with it. It's crazy. But that's what yeah. I mean. So I think it's experiments. I think it's you know, observation. And But I really think ultimately it's, you know, I mean, I think their ultimate goal is to deceive, um, to come across as our benevolent space brothers, our ancestral cedars, as our God, if you will, um, and to lure people away from the truth, the truth of our creation and the truth of our salvation and the truth of, you know, of, and also to try to corrupt the bloodline, which is something that's been happening since Genesis 6, Genesis 3, you know, the mm -hmm. seed war, so... Do you think that those entities uh, you, you mentioned kind of several different uh, you know, species, mm -hmm. if you will, do you think those are all uh, would be considered um, like Nephilim themselves? Um, no, I think, you know, Nephilim are the progeny of a fallen angelic or being in a human. And I think what we're dealing with, with most of these, um, ETs, alien entities, whatever you want to call them, are fallen angelic beings. These are the fallen. These are the ones that, you know, when Satan fell and took a third of them with him, that's what these are. These are the entities that are trying to corrupt the human bloodline. I think that the Nephilim, ever since the flood, I think that's that process has become more and more difficult creating a Nephilim. We can see that there's been so much research. I know Gary Wayne's done quite a bit of research on that too. Um, and that's not my area of expertise, but I can tell you, you know, that they've, we've seen them go through iterations of trying to create, get back to that time where before the days of Noah, when all of humanity was corrupt, the bloodlines were corrupt and people were doing evil all the time you know, at that point, you know, that, that was a scenario that I think Satan would really like to get back to. I mean, you can't stop Jesus from being born. Jesus was born, you know, they fell into that trap and they, and he died for our sins at their hands. And then, you know, so they can't, they can't stop that. They can't stop our salvation anymore, but they can try to corrupt humanity and keep going down that road. So the modern day Nephilim are out there. And I think that they are the progeny now of the modern day, what we people call an extraterrestrial or an alien, just a non-human entity and a human. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that all the different entities that you encountered, um, you think that those were actually uh, the fallen ones. Now, what about the greys? I've, I've heard some people. The greys are different. That's a different thing altogether. That's where the Nephilim do come in. The shorter 
grays, the kind that most people see, the ones with the bulbous heads and the big screen eyes. They're very frail, very thin. Some of them smell putrid, very bad, like dead animal sulfur kind of smell. It's awful. Some don't smell bad at all. Um, those, I have seen those suits empty. I have, other people have reported seeing them empty, you know, stacked in corners, hanging up in drawers. Um, I believe that those are like an avatar type suit. Um, I believe that they are used to house the demonic entities. Um, when the Nephilim died, they were neither human nor angelic. And the ancient text of Enoch tells us that they were cursed to roam the earth as what we know modern day as demons. So, you know, pre, pre-Jesus, pre-flood, you had Nephilim. Post-flood, now you've got demons in the mix, too, because these are the spirits of those deceased Nephilim. And they want a body to inhabit, you know, whether it's an animal, whether it's a human. Sorry, I'm just got my pen stuck on my hand no you're fine Uh, whether it's a body whether it's a human whether it's an animal whatever well gray gives them a perfect avatar type body to inhabit but you know these angelic these fallen angelic beings are superior to the demonic entities right they're you know at a, a superior race these grays that people encounter they don't have a mouth that opens they don't have any visible external organs, just male or female. They're so frail. They're so, you know, and think if if a ship's going to crash or someone's going to catch one of these greys, you don't want them to actually have one of these angelic entities. Plus a, a normal fallen angelic entity could most likely could and would change shape, go into another, you know, another um realm another astral realm what have you and get away but these grays if they're captured you're just going to get an empty skin suit and we can do this in labs now we can create synthetic skin you know we can create actual skin from skin cells you know cloning cells and stuff but that's nothing unusual now um and that's what i believe they to be them to be um i think they can also be um run by ai and I think they probably could use those suits to actually house an entity if it wanted to get in that suit to be here. Because I really, I don't think these um, fallen angelic beings can operate in our environment, like our sunlight and all that properly or well, or without creating a scene, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. But we'll see. I think okay. God has really put some limits on them. When yeah. That's interesting. So, demon disembodied spirit of a nephilim in their disembodied state they go into that suit it somehow animates it right that's what you're right. saying mm-hmm. yeah interesting that may think of it. if they when someone is possessed by a demonic entity or even an animal that demonic entity can control that body so they've given it an avatar body to just inhabit and this body has just the bare minimum running it it doesn't really need all the organs and things like that. It just needs enough to run it so that it can, you know, get the job done. I'm curious what you think of this, because I've heard Timothy Alberino um, talk about the grays and how some people kind of think along the same lines as you. And one of the points he makes to thinking that that's not the case is how demons how the Nephilim seem to act and how demons seem to act like they've got just a lust, you know, bloodlust and just, you know, all these kind of uh, behaviors, whereas the greys seem to just not really be interested in, you know, kind of any of that. How many greys have you and Tim been around? Me personally, zero. <laughs> what about Tim? I can't speak for Tim. I've just heard him talk about uh, those accounts. These entities are not friendly. They're terrifying. They exude an evil that you can't imagine. And I wasn't saying that to be rude. I'm sorry. but No, I, I think that's a good question. Because I've spoken to other people who have been around the grace too. And we, we really all kind of come to the same agreement on it. And the people I've spoken to um, is that... No, they're terribly um, evil. They come, the air of evil that comes off of them is incredible. They love this job because 
everyone they come to get is terrified. We are urinating in our beds. We are, you know, defecating. We are screaming. We are crying. We are being controlled. We are being switched off. They are getting to be in a physical body, which they want more than anything else. And the other thing is, is that in these things, they don't have a mouth, so they can't be spewing blasphemies at people. They're very frail, so they can't really attack you. So the things that a demon might normally want to do, they can't do in the suit, mm. but they get to be in a body. And remember when Jesus cast the demons out, they asked him to send them into the pigs. They would rather be in a pig than not be in a body at all. And, you know, so you're looking at an entity that would rather be in a body than nothing at all. And then, you know, every one of these Nephilim had a different kind of um, personality, if you will. And when look at people who are demonically influenced or demonically possessed, some of them, maybe like serial killers and people like that, there's shows on TV about this all the time, live a perfectly normal looking life taking kids to school, running Girl Scout troops, running Boy Scout troops, you know, running bake sales on the PTA, doing, working at homeless shelters, working at food pantries. And at night, they're out there raping and killing and doing all the other stuff, right? You know, you don't have to be in that mode 24-7 to be, demo- be a demon or to have the demonic qualities. And just because those are their qualities doesn't mean that those qualities are on all the time. And in order to be able to do the things they want to do, my guess is they have to work a certain amount of time in these gray suits, which are quite restrictive on purpose, because given the freedom, they probably would be raping and pillaging and killing people, you know, but those suits don't allow for that. Those suits are very frail. I mean, it looks like you could just break them in half, you know, and no mouth, no sexual organs. They can't get into a lot of trouble. You know, they're going to do what they're told and then they get their reward too. And and also the Nephilim, you know, they are working for their fathers, for these fallen angelic beings. And I can guarantee you that come judgment, Satan doesn't give two, t- two whips of a tail about them. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't care where they're going to end up. They're disposable like we are to to the fallen so you know sorry to kind of get on a soapbox there but you know there's a lot to think about when you think about it and and i get the points um that other people have made about that and it does make sense i understand that but those things those points are valid and they are true and they do carry through with what we who have been in contact with them have found them to be Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't know if that clears it up, but all or not. But. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, um, I like to just give different people's uh, perspective on things. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a, there's not a lot of concrete uh, evidence for this kind of stuff. So we're, we're kind of wading through eyewitness accounts, you know, like your own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where, yeah, we kind of, we look at, we look at what evidence there is and then people can kind of make up their mind, you know, what they want to, what they want to believe about, you know, one thing or, right. or another. And, and, and I'm not disparaging anyone's beliefs or anyone's thoughts on this. Everyone is entitled to believe what they want to believe about it. I'm just saying for me and for the other abductees that I've spoken with, we really all kind of fall on this into agreement with this because it's just what we've experienced versus, you know, I didn't go and get, go get an education about what this is. This is just what I've experienced. So it's a different take on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying is certainly like plausible and you give a really good explanation about it. I've just been, again, never talked with, uh, Sure. With someone who has experienced what you've experienced, and, and I've I've listened to Tim several times, and and Tori and I actually met at his conference, the Birthright Conference uh, mm-hmm. last year, uh, and so oh, I've I've just cool. kind of always been curious to, and I I've asked different people you know questions about what they think about some of his ideas, 
Um, just cause I think, you know, I don't necessarily believe everything he believes. I think he's an, an interesting guy. So I, yeah, I have no ill will towards him. I, I think he's brilliant. I think he's got amazing work. And, and I think that, like I said, I think that what he's saying is valid and has merit and it's a part of the whole, but it's not the whole, it's a part mm-hmm. of the whole and it's valid. And it's, it's true. It's just that when you put that with the rest of the information, then it makes more sense why these are demons in that because he's right demons act that way most of them most of the time but we also don't have a good um any kind of a psychological map for a demon you know no one's been able to sit down with the spirit of a deceased nephilim and do a full psych evaluation on them (laughs) how they feel all the time or what they act like all we know is the ones that have you know shown up up in in been very loud and very vibrant and very you know public about it but how many quiet demure demons are um inhabiting people or animals and quietly behind the scenes making devious and you know deceitful things happen yeah no that's Mm -hmm. that's a good point i mean and when we think about i think a lot of times we and I'm saying we generally people in general, like when we think about like even angels and demons, I think we have this idea sometimes, maybe more so with angels that they're just like these just like automaton or what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Just like they're robotic. Yeah. Not realizing like they are person they have personalities, like they right. are um they're people in a in a sense. They're just and, a yeah. different type, a higher evolved, right. different. They're in a different plane. They have different skill sets. They're different evolution. Mm-hmm. Not evolution. I don't like using that word, but created differently. And, you know, they don't give and take in marriage, but the Bible doesn't say that they don't do any of the other things that we do. They eat, they drink, they procreate, they have relations with humans, they have relations with each other. You know, they come in and out of corporeal form. They do a lot more things than we do. And they're far, much farther advanced than we are. And they have abilities far beyond ours and understanding of, of physics that don't fit into our little universe, our little box in the world that we live in. It doesn't fit into where they live. They live in a completely different arena than to us. Mm-hmm. So, right. You know, so it's, yeah, it's hard to think of them that way, but it's true. They're very, they're very intelligent, very crafty, and and very far advanced to us. Do you think? And we're we're not going to have nearly enough time to <laughs> to go over all the all the questions that are just popping up in my head. So we'll definitely have to have you on again in the future for sure, especially when um when at least when when Tori is here. Yes. Yes, I would love that because I really want to yeah. talk to Tori as well. As much as I love you, Chris, I do. <laughs> no, Tori's Tori great. Too, so I want yeah. to yeah, be there with Tori too. Yeah, no, Tori's great. And she always has um, great questions too. Yes. She, she'll, yes, you know, she she'll think about stuff. You know, she has questions and I'm like, that's a great question. I didn't think about that. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I definitely appreciate when Tori, Tori's here to ask those questions that I don't or think we about. We kind of put you on the spot tonight too with, with <laughs> some. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm. I'm. Okay. I appreciate the the opportunity for us to get yeah. to to sit down and chat. So, do you think? It sounds like you don't think these are like aliens from other planets, right? No. No. Yeah. It's not that they couldn't go to other planets. They couldn't be on other planets if they wanted to. I mean, God's universe is vast beyond our understanding. So I'm, I can't say where they can come and go from, but no, they're, they're the angelic beings that we know from the Bible that existed before us. And, you know, so they can kind of live wherever. And I think most of them, I think a great number of them are living just right beneath our feet, quite honestly. Yeah, underground. Or yeah, in the oceans. You know, and yeah, they we see them in the air, and they have these vehicles of conveyance. Which, you know, remember everything that Satan does is a counterfeit to what God does. So they've created these these spaceships, these vehicles to travel in that are a counterfeit to the way God travels, right? And so they're still traveling through the skies and through the you know wherever out there. But 
but I think a great number of them are definitely underground and in our oceans. Yeah. What do you, what do you, you mentioned, um, they're developing hybrids. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you think their ultimate goal or plan is? Yeah. I like what the late Dr. Chuck Missler said. He said, Satan's outnumbered two to one and he's building an army. And I think he's right there. Um, I think the goal of a, of a hybrid entity, a modern day Nephilim, you know, is getting the world back like it was in the days of Noah, you know, where the world was doing evil all the time. That's gotta be a happy, that's like Satan's Disneyland, you know, or Disneyland, but you know, that's, you know, so that's gotta be a happy, happy thought for Satan there. If he can have a happy thought. Um, And so, you know, that would be part of it because that's been something that they've been doing since, you know, as far back as we have, you know, written history in our Christian and non-Christian literature. I mean, it's all over every culture, every ancient text. There's, you know, you've got the giants and you've got the the different creatures and, and all of that and the mighty men of old. And the, um, so I think that there is this sense of wanting to get back to that type of society I think there's a sense of wanting to even the numbers out a little bit. And these aren't pure angelic beings. These are Nephilim, half human, half angelic, but they still are more powerful than a human um, if they can get it right. And I think God puts some protective things and some some challenges in there for them after the days of Noah. I think a lot of things changed after, you know, the flood um, mm-hmm. or during the flood. During that seven days when Noah was shut up in that ark, you know, who knows what happened because we're getting all of this, you know, from Moses. So um, I think that um, the other purpose of having these modern day Nephilim um, is to lead people astray too, to help preach this benevolent space brothers, ancestral cedars thing. And, and I'm not disparaging people who, who, you know, are sharing that type of information I do not personally subscribe to that or believe that having been in the presence of these evil entities, there is, there's not love and light, you know, kidnapping and little children is not benevolent behavior. Raping men and women is not benevolent behavior. Taking fetuses is not benevolent behavior. Killing these poor cattle and sheep and other animals that are mutilated and drained of their blood. You know, these are without permission, these are not benevolent actions and these are not the actions of a benevolent creator. These are actions of an evil malevolent entity. And if they are so far advanced and if they just want love and light and peace on earth, then they could find a way to share that message without kidnapping people or raping people or hurting people or animals. You know, if your neighbor does that, he goes to jail. You know, he's not benevolent when he does that. So I, I don't understand why there's this double standard. You know, there's two sets of rules. Because you want them to be benevolent, they're benevolent, but their actions don't say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a uh, deception for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. The more people you can get away from the truth, you know, the Bible says in, in times there will come great delusions, you know. And even the elect would be deceived. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And the delusions are going to be strong. You know, the miracles and the things that happen and, and what's put out there. It's, you know, you think it's bad now. We haven't seen anything yet and we won't have to see it because we'll be caught up in the sky together. As the Bible says, you know, lest those days be short and none would survive. So, you know, we're blessed that we won't have to see that, but those delusions are, are going to be very realistic and very compelling. And we're already getting a taste of that now. Because if people can believe that this is benevolent behavior to kidnap little kids, what else, you know, what else are you going to believe? Do you think that what the enemy is doing in this this process, this program, you think they're just trying to he's just trying to delay the inevitable end being thrown into the the lake of fire and he thinks that this plan that they're that they're following out or um, that they're doing is going to delay that end. You know, I don't think it's necessarily a thought of delaying it because he doesn't have any control over the timeline that God has put in place for that. 
But what I do think he can do is bring as many of God's people with him. Mm. And the enemy is not pleased with the fact that, you know, when they rebelled, they were replaced with dirt people, people that he made out of the dust and the dirt, you know, and then blessed us with salvation. We get to live in a, in a dispensation of grace on top of it. I mean, you know, he's not happy. And as many people as they can pull out and away from the truth, the happier he's going to be. He's already knows he's lost, but he's not going down without a fight. Right. No, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. He's just hateful. He just wants to take as many people with him as he can. Um, So Karen, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, So your book, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. uh, If you're listening and you want to get a copy of Karen's book, you can go to lamarzuli.net. I will put a link to the book in the show notes. So if you want to get the book, check that out. So, with the little bit of time we have left, I'd love to kind of hear from you about like someone reading your book. What's some of the main things that you kind of want them to to t- take away from your book um, when they read? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one thing is I don't want people to be scared. I didn't write this book to be scary. A lot of people said, oh, I don't think, I don't know if I can read it. I think it's going to be too scary. No, there are one or two places. There's definitely one place where I said, if you don't like this kind of thing, just skip this part. So I'm very careful about that. There are really beautiful things in here about God's grace and just the amazing miracles that God has blessed me with, how how he's turned this into good. You know, like my near-death experience, which I call my near-life experience, and some miraculous things along the way. Um, What I wanted to... Um, offer the reader is a sense of um, camaraderie that they're not alone if they've had this happen or they know someone who's had it happen so that, you know, you're not alone. It's okay to talk about it. Um, If you know someone who's had this happen, it's kind of a primer on this is probably how it went for them too. And so it kind of will give you a feel for what they went through and how to be compassionate towards that person. And also, how to stop it because nobody has to put up with this. Nobody has to be taken against their will. No one has to be taken by these entities because they are not the high. They're not the top of the food chain. They're not in control. God is in control. When you call on Jesus name, they do turn and run. It is every time for me. And um, I write in there how that worked for me. And, you know, Also, you know, you can, if you're in a situation where you're feeling like you're being attacked or, you know, demonically attacked or something like that, it's going to, there's a lot of prayer in there, not a ton, but there's some prayer in there. And it's also, you know, you can go to someone like Vicki Joy Anderson's book. They only come out at night for help as well. But as far as this book goes, yeah, it's just to offer help and hope and insight and to try to make it okay to have a conversation about this. You know, if someone comes to you and says, Hey, I know this sounds crazy, but I've been abducted by aliens. We have been trained to think that that means you're crazy. But the problem is that that's probably happened to maybe one in two people. It's not crazy. It's happened a lot. It's real. These things exist. They have existed for since, you know, man, before we were created, And um, these fallen ones are just out there, you know, causing trouble and you don't have to put up with it. And that's the number one thing is that, you know, don't be deceived. Um, I do offer in there some scenarios where, you know, some deception type scenarios that can be avoided and, and, um, and just, I offer a prayer of salvation in the beginning and in the end too, because I think it's the most important thing. When you pray that prayer of salvation, you're protected you're protected from from the top of your head to the soles of your feet as we were saying earlier and i love that because you know it is it is so important and they can't touch you you're god's creation and you're special and beautiful and wonderfully made and they're not allowed if you don't want them to they're not allowed to take you and hurt you anymore and that's the Mm. main purpose of the book yeah wow that's awesome and my last question and well maybe (laughs) I'll reserve at least one more, maybe second to last, but for anybody listening, 
what's the best way to respond to if they're in a situation where someone shares that they've experienced that what's the mm-hmm. best way that we can we can respond to be i don't want to say you know welcoming not you know mm-hmm. not like being kind of judgmental and be like, Oh my God, you're crazy. Um, Cause I know that's just <laughs> going to, do that'll that. make that person, you know, shut down. Right. And then that's what's not want to share. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely don't, don't start with that, that you're crazy. That's the what not to do. Um, just to offer comfort and just offer someone say, you know what? I believe you. If you say this happened to you, then I believe you, would you like to talk about it and just let them talk about it and offer comfort and offer prayer and offer to sit and pray with that person and pray protection around that person so that they understand it doesn't have to happen to them anymore. It's terrifying. I mean, being taken, it's not, you know, it's terrifying. And that's why a lot of people are afraid to read and look at books like this. And I was one of them. I couldn't look at a UFO book or movie ever, not until in the last couple of years. Um, And that's why it's scary. So yeah, just hold their hand, pray with them, listen, listen to them and, and offer them places like this podcast to listen and learn because what you're offering is helpful and constructive and, and useful to people. And that's really important. That's great. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and that extends to honestly, just thinking about it, any, any conversation that we have with someone that, that wants to share something traumatic, I don't think it doesn't have to be alien abduction. It can literally be, I think anything that has, has hurt them or traumatized them because I know what the enemy wants more than anything is to keep us silent because we stay silent. We don't tell anybody. And then we just keep going through that trauma. You know, um, it stays hidden. Yeah. A trauma like that leads to bad decisions, bad judgment, poor judgment on our parts. I have been in that situation where I didn't know why God still had me alive. I didn't understand why I was still here. I begged God to take me. I begged God to let me take my life. And I didn't. And I have prayed that, you know, God, whenever I get to that dark place, because it still happens, you know, um, to people to all the time. And you just have to pray that God will lift you out of that. And if you can be there for someone as a friend and just listen, no matter what the trauma is. Yeah. I mean, separating someone, isolating someone, you know, that is the best way to damage someone. And that's definitely the, that's definitely the enemy's, one of his favorite tactics for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on. This has been just a fascinating conversation. And I just want to say, I appreciate that you have the the courage to to write the book, to tell your story, because I think for the reasons you wrote it, it's helpful, you know, for people listening. I mean, I just, I love that. I haven't read the book yet. I'm going to, but I, I love that you have incorporated some action steps for people. Like here's how you can pray, or here's how you can talk to someone if they've experienced this, because I'm constantly like in this fringe Christian space that we're we're in, I think there's so much like fear and anxiety because people are just like consuming this stuff like it's pornography almost. And and that that aspect of it is not healthy. But yeah. when we have practical applications and actions and steps that we can take as believers, that's where there's, there's power um, in this space. Right. And when you, when you unmask a thing like this, you take away its power and I'm not doing this for attention and I'm not doing this for money because you don't make a lot of money writing a book, trust me. And I'm not doing this, you know, I've seen so many weird comments about, Oh, she's doing this for this or that or the other reason. No, 
I'm sharing it because I felt led to share it. I felt like it was God wanted me to share this to be able to help. And so I'm just trying to help, you know, I mean, I'm doing the best that I can to try to share what I know and to rip the mask off some of these evil things and bring them into the light so that people can see them for what they are and, and be able to keep them away from them and keep them out of their lives. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Well, guys, if you're listening, get the book, support Karen and what she's doing yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, the book is available exclusively at lamarzuli.net forward slash store, where you can find the store option on his drop-down menu. Um, you can find a link to that also on my website, karenwilkinsonauthor.com, and I'll give you all of these. You can find me on Facebook at Karen Wilkinson and on Instagram at Karen Wilkinson Author, because someone had my name. <laughs> and um yeah. So, uh, I'll try to have all these links for you. And, um, yeah, if, uh, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me through my website. There is a, um, a contact form on there and I do get back to everyone who reaches out to me. Um, it's not right away cause I get a lot of, um, people reaching out and I, and I do want to take my time with each person who reaches out. So I'm sorry if it's not going to be a fast response, but I promise you that, I am reading the emails and I will, if, you, if you've asked to have a communication, I will do my best to get back to you. So, but you can reach out to me through my website. All right, guys, check the show notes. I'm going to put all those links in there. Appreciate you listening and we will see you again next week. All right. Camp on, Karen. Camp on, Chris. Until next time. Peace. Came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. Ayy, fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made. Forming a holy alliance of evil and look at the daughters of Adam in vain. Then the flood rain came to restore his creational order to how he arranged. Put the disembodied spirits of the giants still want a war, still want to kill in the court. see the blood of the innocent spill on the floor. That's the demoniac and the kind of Yeshua combined. The healer restores image bearers in his second chance when he coming back because he bringing a sword. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman.